As most of you know, we've been in a series um, going through the book of 1 Samuel, really since the beginning of the year. We're going to take a four-week pause, and we're going to, over the next, you know, starting today and then over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at the Easter um, story and what happens afterwards with Christ's resurrection. Um, and today, we're going to be um, looking at the story of Palm Sunday. Um, so we're going to be in the book of John um, in chapter 12 from verses 12 to 19. So I'm going to read and follow along. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Please join me in prayer. Father, we come here today with hearts open. Lord, our hearts are crying out, Hosanna, Lord. Lord, we want to hear about your son as he came into Jerusalem that day. Lord, open our hearts and let him come into us today, Lord. Let us direct our thoughts around him and what you have done for us. Lord, push out all the distractions as we hear the word today. Lord, we lift this up in the name of Jesus. Amen. And I'd like to invite uh, Dave Langford. Um, he's going to be preaching today um, about the triumphal entry. David? Good morning. That was great with all these palms, right? Uh, it reminds me of you know, our, when Lil and I went to the Congo, I think it was our first Sunday in the Congo. Uh, we were in a large church in uh, South Congo called Kempesi, and uh, they celebrated you know, uh, Palm Sunday, and uh, it was something like this. But anyway, <clears throat> as uh, many of you know that I haven't been here for a while, and I almost feel the need to introduce myself because there's new people here. <laughs> uh, my name is David Langford, and my wife is Lilla, and uh, we worked in the Congo for a number of years, and I was just there for two months. And uh, I think that in, in a week or two, I'll be giving a, a more formal report about that. But uh, today, I've entitled uh, my message, The Crowning of Jesus as King of Kings, uh, The Visible and the Invisible. And what I would like to suggest is that the triumphal entry was the beginning of a week, of a week of coronation, which went through the cross to the resurrection, and that during that week, Jesus was coronated King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
Now I'll see if I can prove that to you through this uh, sermon. And then uh, I believe we have communion afterward, right? And that'll sort of be our final part when we get to digest and pray through uh, some of what we hear. But um, <clears throat> by way of contrast, uh, you know, this is sort of an unusual experience where we have a coronation in Great Britain, uh, May the 6th to the 8th. That's just a little over a month away. And uh, the coronation in Britain is of Charles III. And the last great world coronation was when Elizabeth was coronated. And that was 70 years ago, right? I don't know how many of you were here then. Uh, <clears throat> Anyway, it so happened that my parents were missionaries in the Congo, and we were on furlough that year. It was in 1952, and my grandfather had a, a black and white TV, and I still remember seeing the coronation on the television at that point. Anyway, <clears throat> with... Uh, what I wanted to do is to show you a brief video clip on some of the, the pageantry that will go into this coronation. And it represents a thousand years of tradition. And um, <clears throat> you know, then I will contrast how God coronated his son uh, in such a very different way. And King Charles is being coronated King of the United Kingdom. But, you know, the, the royalty in Britain doesn't really have too much power. They, uh, it's more a symbol. And, uh, but when Jesus was coronated, he was coronated King of Kings and Lord of Lords in the creation, in the cosmos. Uh, anyway, it's quite breathtaking. But uh, let me show you just a two-minute uh, clip of what you can expect with the coronation of Charles III. This is sort of a world event, and there'll be people there from all over the world. But anyway, <clears throat> we want to look at you know, the triumphal entry and the coronation of Jesus as King of Kings. And uh, first we'll look at the visible, and then we'll look at the invisible. What happened on the stage of the world and uh, what happened behind the scenes? Um, so, <clears throat> if you had been a news reporter, this is what you would have seen. First off, you know, Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem on a donkey you know, followed a certain precedent. David had indicated that Solomon was to be the official king by ordering that his general and his high priest should parade Solomon through the city of Jerusalem on a donkey. So this was precedent. And then Zechariah... 500 years before Christ, wrote this. 
He said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Um, righteous and having um, salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus was headed towards Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. It was that time of the year, and thousands of Jews were headed for Jerusalem. And many had come from Galilee and were accompanying Jesus as he proceeded towards Jerusalem. And he came to Jericho, and then from Jericho, it was a distance of about 18 miles up to Jerusalem. And it was a climb. Jericho was 800 feet altitude, and Jerusalem was 2,300 feet altitude. So you can see Jesus was climbing up towards Jerusalem. And as they approached the city, they came to Bethany, which was about six miles before Jerusalem. And then there was the little town of Bethpage, which was about one mile from Jerusalem. And Jesus told two of his disciples to go into Bethpage and to bring out you know, a donkey. It was actually a mother and a colt, a colt that had never been used. And they did. They brought this, uh, these two donkeys out. And uh, as Jesus was approaching you know, the Mount of Olives, we read, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. And it was as if the, 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 the crowd burst into joy. They were thinking of all of the amazing things that Jesus had done. And uh, this is what they say, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, even the king of Israel. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And uh, <clears throat> as they brought these donkeys, they, a number of people took their outer cloaks and put them on the donkeys and put them in the, on, the, on the road. And then there were branches, uh, branches and palm branches, you know, John is the only one that talks about palm branches, but the others talk about branches. And they are singing, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna means save us now. And uh, so there was a crowd behind Jesus, and there's a crowd in front of him. And then we read that... Uh, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? The crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And we read in John that many people in Jerusalem had been anticipating his coming. And they remembered how recently he had raised Lazarus from the dead after four days in the tomb. And... The whole crowd of people came out of Jerusalem to welcome him and to accompany him into Jerusalem. And Jesus came to the temple. He sort of looked around. It must have been late in the day, and he went back to sleep in Bethany. And the next day he came and he cleansed the temple. And during that week, 
uh, he interacted with the scribes, the Pharisees. They were trying to trip him up with questions. Uh, during that week, uh, he taught his disciples. Uh, there was the Last Supper. There was the washing of their feet. There was his arrest, you know, he's going to the Garden of Gethsemane, his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection. So that's what visibly happened in the coronation of Jesus. And it didn't look too, uh, too promising. You know, he comes triumphantly into the city and he ends up on a cross. But what happened behind the scenes? What was happening invisibly? Uh, let me just uh, quote several passages from John where Jesus talks about what's about to happen. And Jesus answered them, John 12, 23, and Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So when Jesus says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, he's talking about his death. And what he's saying is, as he dies on the cross, he is being glorified. And then a little later in John 12, 27 and 28, now is my soul troubled, Jesus says, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And Jesus prays to glorify that the Father, and, and the Father responds the third time in the Gospels where God speaks in a loud voice and says, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And then in John 12, 31 and 32. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will this, the ruler of this world be cast out. I And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And then finally, John 17, 1, where Jesus is praying to the Father. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. And... Uh, in other words, this was, the, pro this was the, the path to being coronated King of Kings and Lord of Lords of the universe. This is what uh, Leon Morris says, uh, the New Testament scholar. In referring to his hour, there is no doubt but that Jesus re is referring to his death. Uh, but he speaks not of tragedy, but of triumph. He is not to be dishonored. He is to be glorified. And that by uh, the way of the cross. And then a little later, Leon Morris says that the thought which meant so much to some of the church fathers was that, that Christ reigned from the tree. The cross was not to be, uh, was not to be defeat, but victory. So, what's going on here? You recall, it's because sin came into the world through Adam and Eve, and through all of us, that uh, death came into the world. Uh, 
And because God is a just God, God must punish sin. And uh, so the whole Old Testament is about you know, the preparation of a nation and a, a line of David and the coming of Jesus as Messiah who dies, who's the son of God, who dies on the cross. He qualified to pay our debt because he was human and because he was divine. Because he was human, he could take our place. And because he was divine, he could pay the penalty of the sins of the whole world in one act of obedience on the cross. And when Jesus died on the cross, he offered himself as a sacrifice. He took the judgment of God for our sin. Now that doesn't mean that it's automatic that everybody is forgiven because reconciliation involves two parties. I must, uh, God has done everything that's necessary for my reconciliation, but I must accept it. I must say, I believe and I accept what you did in my place. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty of sin and he broke the power of death. And he demonstrated this by the resurrection. And the resurrection is also referred to as Jesus being glorified. So it's the cross and the resurrection where Jesus was glorified and uplifted. And uh, it was through his resurrection that the Father was saying, I accept this sacrifice. Um, and so with the, the death of Christ, it opens the door for us to have relationship with God. As I accept this, the Bible says, Jesus said, and this is life eternal, that you might know the Father and the Son. And when we accept Christ, you know, our separation from God due to our sin is breached, and we are reconciled to God, and we have relationship with God, and eternal life is not something that we wait for after death, but eternal life is something we receive when we receive Jesus. Okay, now to demonstrate that this is what was really happening. Jesus was being coronated, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in the cosmos, in the universe. We, we look at Revelation chapter five, verses nine and 10. Uh, first off, in the setting of, of John chapter 5, you know, we're reading that John, he sees in heaven a throne, and the, you know, God is on his throne. And uh, God has a scroll in his hand with writing on both sides of the scroll. And uh, most interpreters would, would say that this scroll represents all that has, you know, it's sealed, the scroll is sealed. And it represents all that, that is going to happen in the future to wind up history. And the question is, who is worthy to take this scroll and uh, open the seals? And there's silence in heaven. And the Bible says that John wept. And the angel that was with him says, don't weep, because the lion of the tribe of Judah qualifies. And he looks and there is the lamb who is in the middle of the throne, Jesus. And Jesus takes the scroll because he is the one who is worthy to bring history to its conclusion. And this is what 
the, the beings, the heavenly beings were saying when, when, after Jesus took the scroll, they said, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. So you see, Jesus was made worthy by being slain, uh, and by his blood he ransomed people to God. You remember one of the temptations in the desert when Satan came to Jesus, one of the temptations, he took him on this high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, you can have all of this on condition that you bow down and worship me. And Jesus refused. Jesus says, only the Lord your God is to be worshiped. Because Satan was tempting him to bypass the cross not have to go to the cross, but easily he could inherit all the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus knew that the will of the Father was that he pay for the sins of the world and he break the power of death and uh, he give us eternal life. Now, what are the implications of this? Uh, what has been realized and what has not yet been realized? What has been realized is that Jesus has been coronated. After the resurrection, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Uh, so he has all authority. But what has not uh, yet been realized is that he has not yet conquered all of his enemies. You know, and the psalmist talks about you know, how one day he will conquer all of his enemies. But on purpose, he is patient and he's waiting because he wants people to voluntarily submit to him rather than have to submit to him at the end. Uh, Peter says this in 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward us, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And uh, Jesus' message at the beginning of his ministry was repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the kingdom of heaven was at hand because the king was at hand. And now the king does all that's necessary to, uh, to be coronated, you know, king of kings and lord of lords. And uh, the first implication of this is that he invites us to submit to him as king, voluntarily. You know, and I mean, it cost him his life. And he's my creator. He has a right to demand that I submit to him. And uh, it's voluntary at this point. But one day, if I refuse to submit to him here and now, one day I will be forced to, according to Paul. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Uh, but then it will be too late to make an eternal difference. The second implication, you know, the first implication that Jesus invites us to submit to Jesus as 
as king. Second implication is that um, we realize that the church, uh, as members of the body of Christ, we are in the kingdom of Jesus, the, the kingdom of God. And what God is doing on earth today is you know, planting you know, uh, little, uh, little colonies of heaven, you know, planting churches where Jesus is king. And he desires that we as a church be a model of what it's like for a group of people to live under the kingship of Jesus. Now, to be sure, we're in process. And uh, you know, we're learning how to forgive one another. We're learning how to confess our sins. We're learning how to be righteous in our actions and in our conduct as we grow to become more and more like Christ. But uh, this is our mission. Is, and this is what we call sanctification. Where it, 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 it's becoming more like Jesus. And God leaves us in this earth so that we can be a model of what it means to live in a community where Jesus is king. And this invites people to respond and invites people to join us. And the third implication is that because Jesus has been crowned king, it's our responsibility to prepare the way for the return of the king. Uh, John the Baptist was sent to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus, his first coming. The way that God prepares the way for the coming of Jesus is through us, through his people. You see, <clears throat> there's, uh, there's two stages here. There's the voluntary stage where before the coming of Christ, people can accept Christ. And God is in process of extending his kingdom through the gospel, as the gospel is preached and presented and people submit to Jesus, the kingdom of God is increasing. But one day, Jesus will return. And that will take place, as I understand it, in Matthew 24. There's only one sign for the coming the return of Jesus. And this gospel shall be preached to all nations, and then shall the end come. And uh, so it's up to God, you know, why is it that, God, that Jesus didn't come back last year? He didn't come back because the gospel hadn't been preached to all peoples. And it still remains to be preached to all peoples. And the way that we prepare for the coming of the king is by presenting the gospel to all peoples. And it's up to him to decide when that is accomplished.